Welcome to the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast with me, your host, Dr. Morgan Anderson, clinical psychologist, relationship coach, love expert, creator of the ESL relationship method, and athletic wear connoisseur. My mission is to help you raise your self-worth, have great relationships, and step confidently into the next level of your life. Each week, two episodes will air featuring expert advice, live coaching, and tips showing you exactly how to improve your life and attract great relationships. You deserve to feel empowered, secure, and loved. So buckle up and let's get vulnerable. Hey guys, I am so excited for today's episode. I have a guest expert. His name is John Eli, and he is a mindset coach, life strategist, blogger, and speaker. He spent over 19 years mentoring individuals in life skills, career transitions, and organizational change. His resume includes pastoral care, behavioral health, and higher education. From an early age, John realized that God created him to bring hope, healing, and encouragement to others. He's currently living out his life's purpose by creating a space where men can climb out of their mess to rediscover who they were created to be. He currently lives in Chandler, Arizona with his wife, two dogs, and an antique piano that he named Betty. Hello, John. Welcome to the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Hi, Dr. Morgan. I am super honored that you would extend this invitation. I've been super excited and just uh, just really looking forward to the conversation that we're going to be having today. Great. And okay, I have to ask you, tell me about this antique piano. What is going on there? Uh, it's kind of a, a funny story. I uh, was... I've moved around several times. I, I joke around saying that I'm geographically bipolar because I move, tend to move between Arizona and New Mexico because I have homes in both areas. And because of that, I have never purchased a piano because they're difficult to move. And as a joke one day, I posted on Facebook if anyone wanted to donate a piano to a good cause, the good cause being me. Uh, to let me know, and somebody responded and gave me a, an antique piano. Wow! <laughs> I named her Betty after my school bus driver that I had whenever I was in elementary school because Betty had seen many miles, and so has my piano. <laughs> I'm so glad I asked. Yeah, with that kind of a fact, you just get curious, and you just gotta know. I love Betty. She's She's been good to me. Good. Well, John, so as you know, I love talking about relationships. And I know that that's also something that you really coach men on as well. Um, and we are going to talk about ownership and dialogue and good communication and your top tips for making a marriage work and be healthy. Um, but I wanted to start out with giving our audience just a little bit of background on you. So tell us a little bit about your story and how you got here. Because I think you and I both know that, you know, you become a coach when you've done your own growth and had your own transformation. So I want to hear from you just a little bit about your journey. Yeah. So I've had a bit of an interesting journey. Uh, my background, uh, as you previously mentioned, has been in pastoral care. And uh, I was a pastor for 10 years, always helping others, always looking for a way to make this world a better place. Uh, on, aside from that, I also, my education, uh, my undergraduates in family and child science, I have a master's of science in psychology. Uh, and I've always just been trying to better myself in order to give back to this world in order to make it a better place. But in doing that and making that my focus, I took all focus off of who 
I was and who I was becoming. And there came a season in my life where I basically lost control. I uh, had no self-awareness. I wasn't taking ownership of my own emotions and my life just spiraled down. Uh, I almost lost my marriage. Uh, I married to three beautiful children. I almost lost my family. Uh, it was just a very dark season in my life. And it was through finally making the choice to address what had become, what I had allowed my life to become. That I was finally able to gain strength. I was able to love myself for the first time in my life. And I came out with a brand new purpose. I wanted to help men who, like me, perhaps found themselves in a mess that they had created and couldn't find a way out. That would help people feel comfortable to crawl out of the mess that they had created. Wow, that's such a powerful story. And yeah, I mean, it sounds like, you know, this, this idea that sometimes we have to really hit our lowest point or hit rock bottom. Sometimes that's when we get the motivation to then change, you know, and as you're going through it, it's hell, right? But it's like that thing that gets you to change. Do you remember, John, is there a moment that stands out where you go, yeah, that's when I knew. I had to change. I had to take ownership and come, you know, into acceptance of, of where I was. Yeah. Well, there was a time of my wife and I had separated and I was in my house and I was alone uh, and the house was cold and it was dark. And I just knew that I didn't like the place that I was currently at. And it wasn't a physical place, but it was more an emotional place and a cognitive space where I just knew this wasn't what I was created for. I wasn't meant to live this emotional darkness. And I didn't have a guarantee of whether my wife would want to reconcile, but I knew that I had to start to reconcile with me. I had to make a point to come into relationship with me to address the part of me that I had let spin out of control. And um, I made a decision. I was going to work on me so I could be a better me. And that journey is what led me back to being able to reconcile with my wife. Mm. And what was the first step? Do, do you remember for you? Was it uh, someone who was mentoring you or therapy or how was it that you first started to get that growth and healing that you so needed? I, the first thing I, I recognize is that I felt completely powerless in that situation and I couldn't rely on my own strength. And, and take it, I knew in my mind that I had everything within me to crawl out of this mess, but I knew that I could be more effective if I had people partnering with me and holding me accountable to not give up. Uh, so what I did was I actually picked up the phone right in that moment, this moment that I'm, I was describing to you, and one by one, I picked up the phone and called up eight of my closest friends, of my male friends, and I just, I shared with them everything that had been going on, everything that I had mm. kept hidden from them, I, everything that I didn't want for them to know about me, I just confessed it all and said, um, I'm making a decision to change today. Wow, John, such bravery. And it really speaks to that commitment that you made to yourself of I'm going to change. And you're, you're speaking about something that I think is so, so, so important because we can get so wrapped up in our own avoidance, our own denial. You know, we, we haven't come clean to ourselves, let alone anybody else. 
Um, so for you to go and call eight of your friends and come totally clean, you were, you know, staring reality in the face and really taking, you know, taking ownership, which is what we want to talk about, you know, taking ownership of where, where you were at. Um, did you just feel like a huge weight was lifted or, or what was it like for you after doing that? I felt like I no longer had to hide. And in my life, because of where I was at, my, my, the way I was known in my community back home, the way that uh, people around me expressed uh, a high view of me, I always felt fearful to be vulnerable. And mm. I, I didn't want to be vulnerable uh, with the community in general. I didn't want to be vulnerable with my family in my marriage. And it even led to me not being, not being real with myself and really, really taking ownership of where I was at. But once I let down my guard and I was able to share with these people the darkest things about me, then I really had nothing else to hide whether they loved me or whether they hated me after uh, disclosing that information, I knew that I had faced my biggest fear. It was out there in the open and mm. I could move on from that point. This is such a powerful story and I think so many people can relate to it. And I really hope that people listening to this who have things that they've hidden away that they feel make, you know, things that make them quote unquote, not good enough, uh, that they can know that there is hope. If you're able to talk about those things, bring them into light, go to therapy, talk to your friends, however you do it, you know, being able to be totally honest and transparent about those things can give you that new sense of, you know, I am enough and I can work through this. And wow, I said these things out loud and the world didn't end, you know? Exactly. And don't get me wrong. I, I, the first thing I did the following day is I found a therapist. I found counseling Good. and I made a decision to work on myself. Uh, but it was so, for me, it was so important being able to, to reveal something that was so deep to to people that that meant a lot to me, and to give them permission, I had to make a cognitive decision, uh, a conscious decision to give them permission to feel however they needed to feel about it. And not mm. all of them chose to continue to walk this journey of life with me. There were some people that chose at that moment to never speak to me again. There was a few that walked with me a few steps along the way and then disappeared. And then there were those that have been by my side and have encouraged me and uh, have been uh, a voice of, mm -hmm. of hope, a voice of, of reason and, and accountability, most of all. Yeah. There is so much there in what you just said, John. Um, you know, one of the things that jumps out at me is this idea that, you know, we have to be ourselves, our full selves with everything if we want those relationships that give us that sense of deep belonging and connection. And when we do come true, you know, come clean about who we are, what we're struggling with, and we have people that walk away, we have to be okay enough and self-compassionate enough to allow them to do that and to not take it personally and to know that the people that do stay with us those are our people, you know? Um, so, wow. I think that's such a great example of you have to show up as you and be, be real to know who, who's in your tribe. Like, who is really in your tribe? Exactly. Exactly. 
You know, you mentioned at the at the very start of of our conversation about the importance of uh, of communication, and the reason why my life imploded in the way that it did is because of my lack of communication, my lack of willingness to communicate to my to my companion, my life companion, what was really going on inside of me. There was two things I was doing. I was lying to myself and I was also lying to my wife because there was definitely some challenges that we were facing. There were some huge obstacles and uh, from the get-go from day one when we got married, there was uh, challenges that we, we faced that were neither neither any of our uh, our fault is just the way that life rolled out, but I began to stuff the way that I really felt. And I wouldn't communicate what was taking place inside of me because I lived in this fear that I would hurt my wife. Mm -hmm. And if I hurt my wife and she withheld love for me, then I would be less of a man. And so there was this constant battle and this narrative that I had created that expressing myself, being vulnerable, would lead to me not having her acceptance. And I believe the lie that I would be nothing without it. So much insight there. And I imagine, you know, you didn't, didn't realize it right away. So that's been, you know, a lot of deep reflection on your part and work with a therapist, et cetera. But you're really, you know, touching on some important pieces there. You know, I want to ask you when, when you weren't in communication and, and you felt that, you know, you're lying to yourself, you're lying to your wife. Did, did you just feel this sense of growing farther and farther apart? Was, was the distance just continuing to grow day by day? So there was, okay, you mentioned the distance. And so I could feel an emotional distance taking place between my wife and I. But at the same time, I felt a distance and a great chasm growing between me and my true self. Mm. So I was like standing, and in retrospect, I could see myself growing further apart from my wife and growing further apart from me and just really feeling like the real me was isolated from the things that mattered most. And I wasn't brave enough at that moment to really fight for what was most important. Hmm. And you know, I'm a relationship coach and this podcast is about relationships. And, you know, one of the things that I like to tell the audience is that includes the relationship with yourself, right? And you are really hitting the nail on the head today with this idea that our relationship with our significant other, our life partner, hugely reflects that relationship that we have with ourself because how can I be vulnerable with my life partner and allow them to accept me and love me and take in their love if I can't do that for myself? Absolutely. You know, uh, Dr. Morgan, whenever, well, growing up, I, part of, you know, my faith tradition is that I am taught to love my neighbor as myself. That's something that I was taught. And that is something that I even stood behind the pulpit many times and communicated to others. I love my neighbor as myself. And so I, I went throughout my whole life with that mission to really express love to this world and to do it to the best of my ability. But the, the thing about that, if, if I'm to excel at loving my neighbor at myself, I actually have to start with loving myself. And I couldn't truly love others. I couldn't really truly love my wife. I couldn't really truly love my community to the fullest, to the best of my ability, because I was lacking self-love. Mm. 
And so part of my journey was just really developing an awareness of, of this self-hatred that I had allowed. I had actually given it permission in retrospect. I gave permission for self-hatred and just to develop within me and to eat up at my very heart. And it made me a very horrible and miserable lover. I, I couldn't truly really love without loving myself. Mm. It's so important, you know, and it just, it, you know, it definitely brings up questions for me just about, about your experience and, you know, like where you learn those messages and, you know, but I, I definitely want to kind of talk about what you mentioned of when we're so focused on taking care of everybody else. And even if that's the culture or maybe it's what our faith tells us to do, um, you can just totally burn yourself out. You know, I like to use the metaphor of your own house is on fire, yet you're running around putting out other people's fires, you know? Um, and I think I'm curious about this because Obviously, you know, we have um, two genders here, and I always like to hear the male perspective on this, of this idea of you have to kind of be the provider or be the caretaker. Um, I know as women we feel that, but how, how do you think it shows up for men? Well, <laughs> it really depends on the man. And each one of us has, has, a, has a different journey. But I, I will tell you what us men have a, a tendency of doing is we have a tendency of creating a narrative to make ourselves uh, feel wanted and needed and fulfilling our role and our obligations. And, and, and so for me, part of it is uh, I married into three children. And so I there was times early on in our marriage where I would work two or three jobs to try to support the family because uh, it just, it's what our family needed at the time in the narrative that I was creating in my life. But really, if I look at the basic need, the basic physiological need that my marriage needed at that time was just time with my wife mm. to express the fears I had of raising three children that weren't my own. Mm. The ability to say, you know what, I think I am screwing up royally as a step-parent. I, I don't know how to budget my money right, you know? <laughs> Instead of trying to present this picture that I had it all together because... Oh, yeah. That, that's what I was trying to do as a man is try to be this savior whenever my wife didn't need a savior. My wife needed a husband. This is so important, right? Of that, that desire to, you know, be the provider and be, be the quote unquote strong one. And, you know, it would be weak to be vulnerable and admit that, you know, part of you was terrified and didn't know how to handle this. And it felt overwhelming. You know, you needed to just kind of take it on and be great at it immediately and all of that pressure. And the narrative for you sounds like partly was, if, if I don't do this, I might be rejected. I might lose my wife's love. Yes. And here is what I learned in the process of coming out of that. Because whenever I, I made a commitment to work on myself and the commitment to work on myself was going to be regardless of whether my marriage was reconciled or not. And I recognized that I, I was pretty seriously damaged. And part of that was self-inflicted and part of that was different things that had been thrown to me at life. But the responsibility to fix it was completely mine. And... Um, and I came to a place where I understood that I had to be completely comfortable living in my skin, whether or not my wife loved me. Mm. And whenever I came to that place where I was able to forgive myself, 
where I was able to love myself, where I was able to embrace myself. And I was totally and complete as a human being without needing that affirmation of anybody else. Then I was free to love my wife without condition. Mm, wow, that's so powerful. We are just getting so deep today, John, and I love it. <laughs> so once again, it's that point about I can only love you as deeply as I love myself, right? So when you could love yourself without condition, you could have that self-worth piece of I am worthy as I am today. You then give yourself permission to love your wife in that way. Just the other day, this weekend, we, my wife and I have taken on something new. Uh, uh, we were actually new foster parents. Wow. And, uh, and so there's this challenge that we're having. We, we're, we're empty nesters. We've been empty nesters for three years. And then we, we took on the challenge of having a foster children. And there's been some great moments that, man, those, those hugs from the little ones are great. And there's some moments that, that, oh, Lord, help us, because it's, it, it's a challenge. We're working with, with children with trauma that have been mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. away from their families. And they, they're dealing with, with a lot of uh, just a lot of emotional baggage. And uh, my wife and I, we, we had a, a discussion, and we didn't necessarily agree on something. And... Well, I just found to be like so like healing and so rewarding in the midst of our disagreement is that I didn't even catch it till afterwards, but she expressed the way that she felt about something. And I just said, you know what? I don't agree with you, but I need you to know that I love you anyway. Oh, and, yeah. And after I, because both of us were, we, we were actually talking on the phone whenever this took place uh, because uh, just just where we were at. And, and it was just so freeing after I hung up the phone call that I realized, you know what, where I'm at in my life, I'm at a place that I give my wife the liberty to have whatever opinion she desires to have. I don't have to live in bondage to that opinion, but... I can understand that she's somebody apart from me and she's entitled to whatever opinion she desires to entertain. Uh, do I hope and desire that her opinion would be different about some things? Absolutely. But I have to be a realist and understand that there's probably some opinions of mine that she would like to change too. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm complete as a human being whether those opinions are in alignment or not. Hmm. You know, John, that really speaks to a deep security that the two of you have built in the relationship. I think so often, especially in early couples, I'll see this idea that if my partner thinks differently than me or even is different than me, it means that they might not love me or that our relationship might end. So to be able to have the two separate humans, you know, who are independent and are themselves in love while holding security, you know, that provides for that healthy dialogue, right? And that healthy communication where you can appreciate her perspective, acknowledge it, and not feel threatened that it's not the same as your own. Yes. Now, I, I'm not going to lie to you that this this isn't something that I've been walking. We've, we're going on to 16 years of marriage. Wow. Congratulations. This, thank you. <laughs> but uh, it, it's been really within the past three years where I've been able to develop uh, the emotional maturity that I need to walk in this manner. Mm. And, and actually, whenever you contacted me uh, first and you reached out to me and extended the invitation to be part of the podcast, you, you uh, mentioned that you wanted to talk about emotional maturity in relationships. And, and I, I kind of focused on that for a bit, and I thought about that word maturity. 
And that word maturity means to be fully developed. And so as I was sitting and I, I was just in my quiet time in the morning, I, I usually spend some time uh, uh, writing in my gratitude journal, setting my intention for the day and, uh, and just setting the stage for what I'm going to experience. I was like, what, like, what does it mean to be fully developed emotionally? And, um, I recognize that I may have developed significantly, but I think I'm still on a journey. I think that there's mm -hmm. still growth that's going to take place in my life and in my wife's. Mm -hmm. And I'm not scared the way that I used to be. I'm mm -hmm. excited about like where that journey may take us. Mm -hmm. Certainly. And I think you're, you are speaking to this idea that, gosh, we are never done growing. And one of the most beautiful things about relationships and particularly intimate relationships is that they help us grow. You know, they trigger us, they bring up all of our crap and they help us grow. And it's this constant evolution um, speaking of which, I found myself being curious, do you feel as you were doing all of this, you know, your own inner work and going through all this growth, learning how to love yourself first and giving yourself permission to accept your own opinions and who, who you are, do you, did you notice a change in your wife as well? I noticed that she was happier with the new person that I was becoming. Hmm. Do you think that it gave, because I'm curious, you know, I think maybe in a way, did, did she feel more permission to be herself then? Or was she, was she always that way? Was she just, she was good at, you know, showing up? I, you know, and obviously I'm just curious and I know we probably don't even have her permission to talk about this, but just curious. I'm trying to be politically correct and, and trying to find, find the words. <laughs> I'm just going to say it and I hope I don't offend anybody, all right? We're Latinos and Latina females can be, and have the freedom to express themselves completely on about anything and where men are men are supposed to keep this they call it machismo where mm -hmm. uh, men are to be more stoic not be as expressive and uh, it's been difficult because i am a very expressive male so i fight between like i feel like i'm caught between two cultures uh i i my my Hispanic, and then I'm American. I'm third generation in the United States, so uh, I'm, I'm really caught between these two cultural norms that tend to squish the life out of me sometimes. <laughs> and, uh, wow, I really appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, it, it's a challenge. Mm -hmm. but my wife is first generation here in the United States, mm. and part of part of her way of expressing herself. It's just clearly stating what's on her mind. And I appreciate that because I don't have to wonder what she's thinking. Mm -hmm. there, there's not a day that goes by that I'm wondering, like, like does she have it out for me? Or is she... <laughs> She'll just tell you. I love that. <laughs> she just, oh. just the, the self-expression. Uh, the cultural norm of expression, I guess I should say, that, that follows us. Mm. I, well, I don't know if you even know this about me, John, but one of my specialty areas was uh, Latino psychology. I actually, I'm bilingual, so I um, have spent time in Guatemala and Spain and um, did my dissertation on identity development among gay Latino males. So... Yeah. I have studied the Latino culture, so I know about those norms. Um, and, you know, one of the terms that comes to mind is this idea of intersectionality, right? Like all of our identities and how they intersect and how sometimes that mold that we feel like we're supposed to fit into can be pretty confusing when you're bicultural 
and there's different expectations for a Latino man versus an American man. And, you know, I think it's, it's a lot to be able to be aware of. And hopefully for you, you can go, oh, this fits, this doesn't fit, you know, be able to take, make it an intentional decision. So I, I will, you, you mentioned this, this like intersection and that was part of my battle that I, that caused me or that influenced me to not be vulnerable with how I felt about things. I had this Latino culture that I was brought up in. I had this American culture that I absolutely love. I'm proud to be an American. I also had this, this religious upbringing mm. that sometimes fought against both cultural norms that I was brought up in. And then I grew up in a small town that had a whole different cultural expectation of how people should interact with each other. And so I felt very stretched. Mm. And by nature, I'm a people pleaser. So I came to a point where I thought I can't please anybody. I might as well just stay silent. But it was whenever I finally allowed myself to say, okay, I'm going to embrace this from my Latino side. I'm going to embrace this from my American side. I love my faith, so I'm going to embrace this part of it. Mm -hmm. And yes, I grew up in a farm in the middle of nowhere where my nearest neighbor was a cow. I'm going to be different. I love that. (laughs) It's okay. I I grew up in um, in Montana, you know. Um, our our nearest neighbor was two miles away. So, um, but but yeah, I think sure the the farm life is a whole it's a whole different life experience. But what I love about this is right when you can just say, look, I have all these parts of myself, and sure, maybe to some people it feels you know um, weird or different, but hey, it's who I am and I am going to show up as myself, you know? And I think it's, it's that confidence and that self-acceptance uh, that, that helps, helped you move through everything the way that you did. I, I believe that one of my biggest fears, and I think it's a fear for men too, even though men won't express it, is the fear of being alone. And uh, men tend to not want to express that. And I, I read an art, gosh, I've been trying to find it because I, it was just so meaningful to me, but it talked about like how most men uh, wait for uh, opportunities to, uh, to drink alcohol to express themselves on how they really feel because uh, it's outside of their norm. But the deep inner inner desire is to connect, to have, you know, your tribe, to have your group of people around you. And most men don't want to communicate that. And that was one of my biggest fears. If I truly show up in this world as who I was created to be, who is going to be by my side? And what I learned through the process is that some of the people I expected to remain by my side left me. People Mm. who I didn't expect to support me came around Mm. people that I never knew are now walking this journey of life with me. Mm. And going back to like my faith view is I believe that, that I have divinely been assigned whoever I need to walk this journey of life with me in any given moment in time. And sometimes that's going to be a lot of people. And sometimes that's going to be a few. And sometimes it means that I have to go through a season of solitude. But I have to learn how to love myself. And no matter what state of life I might be in. Mm. And then I'll be free to love those that surround me. I think that that is so powerful. And so many people need to hear that message. I think, you know, I talk about the self-worth versus self-esteem roller coaster, you know, and self-esteem is that like, oh, what do people think of me? How many friends do I have? What car do I drive? How much money is my bank account? 
what brand of clothes am I wearing, et cetera. So many people get caught up in what does it look like to other people, you know, that self-esteem up and down. Whereas, you know, you're talking about this deep knowing that you are enough that, you know, your self-worth is so deeply rooted. I think of self-worth as like, um, like a, like a tree with, you know, really, deep roots. It's one of those huge trees that cannot be shaken. Um, and yeah, when you develop that and you love yourself and you can show up as yourself, you're going to attract the people that need to be in your life. And then the quality of those relationships is going to blow your mind. It's going to be such good quality relationships that the quantity, you know, kind of becomes irrelevant. Exactly. Well, I really appreciate this, you know, and one thing um, I wanted to get to, because I do like to give the audience kind of some tangible tips, uh, some things that they could apply right now in their life. I wanted to hear from you some of your best tips on communication with your wife and taking ownership Essentially, what what does it look like for you to do that in practice? Yeah, so one of the biggest things that has liberated me, one of the biggest practices that I have in my life is giving myself permission to feel. And in giving myself permission to feel is also understanding that I don't have to... Un- assign a meaning to that feeling i can just embrace that feeling for a moment and understand that it's part of life so if i'm feeling sad just giving myself permission to be sad it doesn't mean that it's a permanent label it just means that i'm sad if i'm frustrated the same thing you know if i'm feeling um if i'm feeling lost just mm-hmm. embrace that. And um, I, I do have a, a practice of, of journaling mm-hmm. and, and writing down my feelings, writing down my, my thoughts, but, but giving myself permission to feel and understanding that I'm not less of a man because I actually have feelings. That is um, so powerful. So powerful. Thank you for sharing that. You you also asked like in communicating with my wife, mm-hmm. um, like whenever it comes to how I feel, one of the, the things that I had to communicate with my wife is how my expectation of, of how I wanted her, of what I wanted her to do with my feelings. And my wife is, by nature, a fixer. So she tries to find a way to, if I'm feeling sad, well, let's find a way to make them happy. And Mm -hmm. I finally had to learn how to communicate to my wife and say, I just need for you to be present. I, I don't need to be happy in this moment. I need to give myself permission to be sad. I think that's so powerful, John. I, and I, you know, I do a lot of couples therapy and I can say that that's a theme that I hear again and again. Um, one of the partners wants to fix it because it feels uncomfortable or it makes them feel like they're not good enough because their partner's upset. So th- there's all these, you know, things that can get projected. Um, but yes, I think you, you said it well when you said, you know, being able to kind of ask for what you need and being able to say, Hey, I just need space. I just need to be able to feel like you hear me, you get it, you know? So I'm going to get a little bit Freud on you and bring up my mom. (laughs) Good. I love it. Yay. Talk about maternal relationships. That's a challenge that I have with my mother that was unresolved that I brought into my marriage. Um, 
Isn't it funny how Freud like really kind of knew his stuff? I mean, it's it's still relevant Um, today. (laughs) But I have to constantly remind my mom because I'll have conversations with my mom and I love her to pieces. She's one of my absolute favorite people on the face of the planet. But if I if I express sadness, if I express fear, if I express pain to my mother, my mother will immediately try to give me a list of a hundred things that will that that will try to distract me from feeling that. And so I joke around with my mom because I'm the youngest. I said, Mom, I just need for you to hold me again. Do you think you can hold me? And my mom's like like five five and I'm I'm six one, so I I tease her with that. Like, mom, I just need for you to hold me. That's mm. all I need for you to do in this moment. And and she lives six six hours away from me, so I don't see her every day. But she'll usually chuckle, and then I can hear her like cry on the other end because she knows that she just needs to be present. But I've had to learn how to communicate that with my mother, and mm. I've also had to learn how to communicate that with my wife. And there'll be times that I'll tell her. Uh, She'll go, my wife, uh, being a fixer, she'll go like either into lecture mode or uh, strategy mode. And I'm like, wife, I just need a hug. Mm. She'll kind of usually look at me and like roll the bashful and then hug me. But I tell you, like those moments, whenever I see her acknowledge the fact that I need a hug and she gives me what I need, like those are some of the most intimate moments that I have with her is that she's meeting my need in that moment. You know, John, thank you so much for sharing this because I think so many of the listeners can relate to this. And you're speaking about something that's so important in our relationships. This idea that we need to be able to give people the opportunity to give us what we need by communicating it because you know, as much as we would like, our partner cannot read our minds, you know, so we have to do the vulnerable thing and communicate what that need is, give them the opportunity to meet the need. So it sounds like you've learned how to do that with, with your mom and with your wife. And, you know, using humor is such a great way to kind of make something, you know, be well received. And I love that you were able to do that with your mom. Um, Yeah, but such a beautiful concept of, wow, how connected can we feel in our relationships when we ask people for what we need and they actually do it? Yes. Yes. Beautiful. Well, I feel like, you know, we've gone over a lot today and I know I really have appreciated this conversation and I always like having a different perspective, especially a male, male perspective on, um, is there anything else about the concept of communication or ownership that you feel like we haven't touched on? No, we we've covered a lot today. Yeah, we got vulnerable. I so appreciate you being vulnerable. You know, I think that's how we learn best. And yeah, I just really appreciate you doing a deep dive. I love it. By all means. <laughs> okay. Well, I always end the show with a question, and the question is. You know, if there was kind of just one message that you could tell someone that would help them improve their life, um, you know, no pressure, um, but at this time, you know, what would, what would be that one message that you would, that you would tell someone? I believe my message is, is clear and that's that you are so much more than your biggest regret. I believe that many people want to, many people allow for a mistake, an error, or a situation to define them for the rest of their lives, and they hold themselves prisoner to it. And that's, that's part of the reason why I, I began to reach out to men to coach them, is because I am tired of seeing men, specifically 
allow a situation or a bad choice to define them forever. So my message to this world is you're so much bigger than your biggest regrets. Wow, that is powerful. Thank you for that, John. And, you know, I know that our listeners really connected with you during this podcast, and I'm sure they want to connect with you on social media. So how can they find you? Yeah, um, you can find me on Instagram. Um, and my my username or profile name is at the dot John. That's J-O-H-N dot Eli. And they can, uh, you can also find uh, me on my website. Uh, I have a blog, my information there. Uh, and my website is www.john-eli.com. Great. Thanks, John. Yeah, and I will also have all that information in the show notes of the show in case you're curious. Uh, But, you know, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us, John. This has been so good. Thanks for having or being on the show. Um, And, yeah, thank you. Definitely honored that that you would ask me. I've been following you as well on Instagram, and I definitely love the message that you are portraying, giving people insight on how to have healthy relationships. So thank you for holding that space for others as well. You got it. All right. And until next time, wishing you all high self-worth and great relationships. You guys, thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate each and every one of you. The best way that you can thank me is by sharing this episode on Instagram, Facebook, and making sure that you tag me at Dr. Morgan Coaching. And it would really mean the world to me if you took just two minutes to leave me a five-star review on iTunes. This podcast is not free to produce. And the more that you help this little show grow, the more people will have access to this valuable information. So until next time, I'm wishing you high self-worth and great relationships. Thank you for being part of this community.